this is Secretary of the Department of Education, Betsy DeVos. And I just wanted to take a moment of my time to explain to you exactly why I believe that our public schools are failing. You see, one of the things that I've been learning about in my brief time in education is the importance of the church and community in its involvement in our charter schools. Parents need options to be able to send their kids to charter schools. And well, for the parents who are unable to afford those charter schools, we decide that we would just leave those guys behind in the public school system without books and without funding because they're going to a different kind of school. Their school is the school of hard knocks. We expect those students in the public schools to lift themselves up by their bootstraps and figure it out as all of our parents, grandparents, and forefathers in America had to do. And to those critics who would claim that minority students have historically not been given the same opportunities as white students, I say this to you. (laughs) Betsy DeVos, Secretary of Education, signing out. Make America great again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Brothers in Law podcast. I am Jesse McCoy, and joining me is the world's foremost legal humorist, Mr. Sean Carter. How are you doing, man? I'm good, man. Good. Good, good. So, 50 years, man. 50 years since the assassination of Reverend Martin Luther King. And America has grown in many ways and uh, shrank in many ways. Correct. Uh, What do you think is the true impact of Dr. King's legacy? And how do you think that that has has helped or hindered black America since then? You know, that's obviously a long question. So we'll we'll, we'll take it in parts. But, you know, I went back and was sort of reading, you know, post-Dream King. And, And I say that because I think you could really sort of take King's, let's say, ministry and break it into two periods. One, we have the pre I have a dream speech, mm-hmm. right? Where we're dealing with a lot of issues of simple equality as far as sitting on the same side of the, right now on the front side of the bus and being mm-hmm. able to vote and all the things that, that black people were supposed to have already. And right. then once we got past that, he started moving into more of um, a more proactive type of activism and said, hey, no, no, we need to sort of start directly addressing these structural inequalities and really start, by the way, taking some proactive steps to, to, to reduce them because you got all these black people out here that are now quote-unquote free but don't have any of the experience, resources, you know, and, and, and institutional uh, backing that, that white citizens have. 
And so he really started going, you know, after that, and that's where he ran into his biggest opposition. He always said, you know, when I was just asking for a right to vote, no one really was that mad. But when I started asking for money, and so his three stepping points, he said the three things that were stopping in America were um, militarism, poverty, and racism. And he's found them all sort of intermingled, and I think the best example of that is in the Vietnam War, where he talked about how, you know, the militarism of the U.S. was not only killing, you know, poor, poor people in Vietnam, but it was killing poor people in America because they didn't have the money. You know, at, at the time of the Vietnam War, they were spending like 40% of the federal budget on the war. So anytime he came to them and said, hey, these land-grant colleges that you gave all this land to, to white people and taught them how to farm, et cetera, when you open up new territories, let's get that going for black people who now have this, you know, th- th- this new opportunity in, in the South, sons and daughters of sharecroppers. Like, we don't have money for that. We, we, got, we, we, we got a war. He said, bombs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're buying bombs with that. And obviously we can't build the bombs. And, and, and it's like, you know, and, and so, so he said basically between that, okay, you know, the poverty that was keeping black people down and then, you know, the racism that it, it's amazing how they always had money for the things that were important for, for some people. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we had money, for instance, you know, to support the defense contracting industry. Uh, but not, you know, uh, the, you know, br- br- brothers and, you know, in sanitation workers. And, and, and so the bottom line of all of this is simply that, you know, those three things that he talked about, racism, poverty, and militarism, if we look at the three, well, militarism, um, we're still pretty military-minded. Now, we spend a smaller percentage of our budget on the military. We only spend about $800 million a year now. <laughs> 800, I'm sorry, $800 billion, um, which is sadly, which amazingly, is, is only about a quarter of the budget. <laughs> we spend a lot of money. Um, and, and, and the thing, though, about it, though, is that, you know, there, I, I saw something that said basically there's been like 200 armed conflict battles that the U.S. has had, right, you know, since World War II, where most of the world's battles we're somehow involved in somewhere, whether we're you know, heading a peacekeeping force in Kosovo or whether we're actually, you know, starting wars in the Middle East. And that obviously diminishes the amount of money we can spend because the military budget, while being smaller as a percentage of our GDP, is still more than the other 11 countries combined, or the next 11 countries. So somehow, imagine all those money, all the money that those Swedes and Germans, et cetera, have for their schools and their infrastructure that we don't have because we're building bombs. Yeah, well, you know, if... if you ever stand against the military's funding, then, you know, they paint you as someone who doesn't support the troops. That's, that's the way that they get you out of the panel. No. Well, and they, they got Dr. King with that good. You know, the New York Times, the liberal New York Times, right? Uh, as Donald, Donald Trump called the failing New York Times, uh, denounced King, said, said that he was horrible because he opposed the Vietnam War. And part of his opposition to the war was pacifism and being a good Christian. What a concept that a Christian, right, <laughs> that, that someone who follows the Prince of Peace um, would want peace. But also part of it was he says, look, I'm constantly here preaching nonviolence to you people. I'm constant to my people. And you love me for it. You love me when I tell us to turn the other cheek. and not. And, but, but I want to then tell those same kids to go 10,000 miles away and, and shoot at, at Vietnamese people who've done nothing to them. 
And, and, and so part of you know Dr. King's you know consistency there was wonderful and sort of painted us at, at, at a new at, at a new era. But you know, so military wise. Ugh, that's a mixed bag. We haven't gotten any better there um, with regard to poverty. Interestingly enough, we have a a weird thing going on where, as a whole, black people have probably done better over the last 50 years, at least than we did the 50 years before. Right. Okay? But, but generally, society has become even more stratified between rich and poor. And so maybe we have the benefit of adding a lot more white people to poor with us. <laughs> well, Which, not, just, just wait, don't let them know. Well, here's the thing about it, though, is, and, and you had some, uh, some good ideas and conversations we've had before about how that actually might be a, a saving grace here. Absolutely. So I, I think poverty is, is a universal language. Uh, the problem is not everybody who's poor realizes mm. that they're poor. Uh, oh, no, no, stop, stop, stop. You, you got to say that one more time. Say it slow because people missed it. Oh, uh, okay. Not everyone who is poor realizes that they are poor. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is we were talking earlier about, you know, how many paychecks are you away <laughs> from complete and total devastation, right? If, you know, you don't own the company that you work for and the company decides that they don't want to pay you anymore, they give you a nice little pink slip. Some people have been uh, studious enough to put away some money and they may have a little bit in savings to last them, but how long will it last? Will you last a month or two? <laughs> My, in, in, in our approximation, if you last anywhere less than six months, then you definitely are poor. Right. If you make six months, maybe. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you're certainly not gonna make it forever. You're not going to make it forever. And the difference between those who are poor and those who are wealthy is people with wealth, they don't need to work. Thank you. So they, they, if they're even working in the first place, at that working for someone else in the first place, then a pink slip is more like a vacation. <laughs> so you know, if you're not in that status, then you probably need to reevaluate your definition of poor. And the reason that... Um, that that I'm such a big advocate for uh, policies that impact the the community or at least the poor community. I would say that because so many people fall into this barrier, mm -hmm. we all have a collective universal interest to see it improved. But there, we also have the most uh, I would say mental stratification between us. Because everybody feels that we're operating on a concept of scarcity. And it's a false concept. It's like the the 10 of us are fighting over a, a, a pie. The 10 of us are fighting over a pie. And we don't want anybody to have more than their one piece of pie that they're supposed to have. Meanwhile, you're fighting over this pie in a bakery with a rich person <laughs> who's making pies every second, and he's eating them all by himself. No, no, so, you, you are you you are so right. And here's why I think you know what was brilliant about what you what you just talked about here is that you know if most of us could see this, and this is something that you and I have to work on mentally, it is realizing that materially we're not much different than the poor. Yes, we have you know nice homes and, and, and when we live with white people and all of that wonderful stuff. But, but the bottom line is, not for long. If, if, if we can work, 
all right uh, that would change it might be a month it might be six months it, but it would be eventually and, and, and like you said I think if more people realize that the difference between them and those poor people is oh two months of, of, of earnings right it, 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 because we kind of we, and this is the great thing about America is America has taught a lot of poor people that they are millionaires in, it, 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 who just haven't hit their break yet <laughs> that's why you get poor people who are complaining about the quote unquote death tax now, now you gotta have 5 million before you even come near qualifying it that that puts like less than 1% of the American people in that pie but 60% of the American people are opposed to the death tax <laughs> because they absolutely are convinced that they are one website they are a one lottery ticket one Record one one ringtone. They are they are one soldier boy away, right? <laughs> and, and if we saw ourselves as all being in the same bucket, and me seeing myself in the same bucket as an Uber driver, all right, then I might be more concerned, right, and realize that it's important, right, that they have benefits and health care and all those things that I might have now, because I'm not that much different than them. And so, you know, it, it, we need to be more, we need to all realize that almost all of us are poor people who just don't realize it. And see, the, the issue about it is there's politics amongst uh, the poor. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is America has done a great marketing job in convincing poor white people mm -hmm. that poor means you're black. <laughs> so they do. Poor means you're black and you're obviously got your hand out trying to get something from the government for absolutely no work and you, you just want benefits and that's all you want and people don't look at the budget to realize that the uh, federal spending for poverty related programs <sighs> is, is minuscule. We were talking about the eight hundred fifty billion for the for the military. I think we're getting somewhere like you know maybe two point eight. <laughs> I mean, you know, literally the amounts that you talk about for things like heating oil subsidies or whatever, you know, to really help poor people are those programs are measured often in the millions and hundreds of millions. Certainly not in the in the hundreds of billions. You're 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 absolutely right. And, and remember, you know, Dr. King talked about this even back then. He he talked about this idea. He used to say, you know, that basically, you know, the 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 wealthy in the south were able to convince very very poor white folks that it's okay if they were poor because at least they weren't black. And he said, you know, basically let them eat Jim Crow. It may be said of the slavery era that the white man took the world and gave the Negro Jesus, then it may be said of the Reconstruction era that the Southern aristocracy took the world and gave the poor white man Jim Crow. Yes, sir. He gave him Jim Crow, uh -huh. and when his wrinkled stomach cried out for the food that his empty pockets could not provide, yes, he ate Jim Crow. A psychological bird that told him that no matter how bad off he was, at least he was a white man better than the black man. And he ate Jim Crow. And when his undernourished children cried out for the necessities that his low wages could not provide, he showed them the Jim Crow signs on the buses and in the stores on the streets and in the public buildings. Yes, sir. And his children, too, learned to feed upon Jim Crow. Yeah. That as 
Yeah. The crow is, is like the poor white people's Popeyes. <laughs> right? I don't know if they put, you know, Tabasco, whatever they put on it to make it to make it good for them. But but that is their thing. And they can always say, at least I'm not black. And here's the other thing that's weird is, is that I think what's happened for white people that, that disturbs them so much is that they've become more black. And here's what I mean by this. There was a time where if you were, and I mean just in you know, Dr. King in 68, his lifestyle time, where if you were a white guy, you got a high school diploma. You were set. You weren't going to be necessarily rich, but you would probably own a home, have a good job, a good pension when you retired. You might have a boat. You know, you did not have to, okay, you know, do anything great to just have a, a good, decent life. And now you find that basically black people have never had that guarantee. You can get a PhD in black and still be broke. We know some people who went to law school with us broke, right? Absolutely. And, 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 and so now they're starting to have that. Their kids are coming out of college. Say, I went to a good college and coming home living in their basements. And they're realizing that, wait a minute, we're all black now. And they don't like it so much. Well, you know, it's it's hard. We've got uh, centuries and centuries of experience, uh, and this this may be new for them. Now, this is the other thing that you that I add, and I think one of the contributions that that Dr. King left us with. Um, Dr. King was successful in getting us uh, integration, which you know, depending on your viewpoint of integration, uh, can mean a really good thing. <laughs> and the good side would be, you know, we both have to have equal legitimate access to education and we can go to the same schools that white people go to in order to make sure that we read the same books and have the same teachers mm -hmm. um at least until they you know got their money to go to private schools and charter schools <laughs> uh, um and but also with integration came options and a lot of times these things were detrimental to uh black institutions that had been kind of the backbone of our community. So you see the split from a, a lot of people attend HBCUs once integration is put in place because they can go to other schools and they have other options. I think one of the uh, benefits of having options is people found alternative ways without having to march to Washington or anything like that where they could go ahead and get their nice big chunky piece of the pie without having to really sacrifice too much. They just go to school and do what they're supposed to do and get a pretty good job. And I think what happened was the marketing powers that be for America were able to tap, tap in to seeing black successful people uh, pursuing these routes and throw that into the face of white America to make it seem as if we took something from you. Right. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the fact that this person worked just as hard, if not harder than you did and pursued an opportunity that you didn't pursue. But it has to do with the fact that somehow they capitalize on the fact there's an entitlement theory out there Absolutely. where a white person in America is entitled to have a certain standard of living and how dare a black person get it. And we've moved on and progressed to the point where now even immigrants who oftentimes are working jobs that white people have not worked in over 200 <laughs> years, uh, somehow now they're being scapegoated into saying, oh yeah, you, you took the job, they took our job, whatever the case may be. So um, with that, 
it I hope that people are understanding or at least comprehending that the powers that be, the people who put together this great marketing plan, are the folks who are the top what point five of a percentage point at, at, at most like ninety percent of the resources and they benefit and they remain in power as long as we are all fighting amongst each other over stupid things that they could care less about but they know that they can exploit through us. Well and, so, and he, it, here's the thing is it's interesting is is that Dr. King is in jail and he has this conversation with the jailers. He's talking with the jailers and they ask him, point blank, blank, you know, how, how well they treat you and what kind of money you make. And, and, he, and he said, you, know, you guys don't even have anything more than we do. Mm-hmm. You should be on our, you should be in the jail with us, fighting with us. Right. And, and they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're still white. Right. <laughs> right. We, we still got that going for us. Remember Chris Rock did that great routine. Shit. Shit. There ain't a white man in this room that would change places with me. None of you. None of you would change places with me, and I'm rich. That's how good it is to be white. There's a white one-leg busboy in here right now that won't change places with my black ass. He's going, nah, man, I don't want to switch. I want to ride this white thing out, see where it takes me. And here's the challenge is, since Dr. King, there was a time in which, you know, it looked like it was getting better, but the racial stratification has become, I think, maybe even worse now, where, you know, the idea of poor whites, particularly, think about it, in the last election, the people who really went against black were not rich whites, but poor whites. Working class whites, the very people who have the same issues we have, were the most, you know, drawn to this message that, you know, the brown people are stealing all of our stuff. And, and, and so the question is, you know, are we closer to getting those people together? That was Dr. King's dream is that, they, you know, we would all be, you know, marching together for, 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 for better standard of living for all of us, assuming that they're not going to come along anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, then I guess, you know, well, to paraphrase one of his great speeches, you know, sort of where do we go from here? Um, and, you know, for years, I think a lot of us, myself, I've been, been guilty of this, have been sort of praying for, for, for another Dr. King. Okay. I, I was so bad, I, I was willing about a year and a half ago to let it be Sean King. <laughs> he had bigger use Facebook following than I have, and, and you know what? He light skin. Light skin is kind of back in style. He's working for Steph Curry. The Ball Brothers are blowing up, even the ones who can't play basketball in Lithuania. I'm like, you know, this is good. Light skin and name King, this could work. All right. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, and, and, and he's still doing his thing. But, but the point is, though, is that I'm starting to think that maybe the answer isn't going to be in the 21st century another King. That, that maybe he was in a particular time and place where it worked, but that, you know, it's just not going to be able to be replicated in the 21st century absolutely so you know i always look at great great figures in history and kind of what was going on during their uh during their rise to fame and prominence so when i think about dr king i think about the jim crow era and i think about the south Mm -hmm. and what were black people dealing with at the time there were a lot of things that were going on in the south that black people knew about but didn't talk about. 
because there was a certain uh, societal rule of law, Jim Crow, or not rule of law, but rule of, well, yeah, rule of law too, uh, but a certain societal hierarchy mm-hmm. that everybody was born into and was taught early on. And so those people in the South following that would oftentimes congregate at churches and church was essentially the barbershop. That's the only place where you are able to speak your mind freely without fear of retaliation from the greater community. Okay. And in so doing, at church was where a lot of our most radical ideas came from. Mm-hmm. Because of this, we already had an infrastructure set up for the passing of communication and information. Uh, we already had an infrastructure set up for the identification of issues going on in the community. And we already had something set up where people weren't going to be leaving the church seeking to have a bar fight with anybody. Okay. Right? People were going to leave the church and say, you know what, I'll pray on it. And we're just going to keep doing what we do. So to present a concept of civil disobedience and nonviolent resistance to people in the South was, even though it was revolutionary, it was it, it fell upon ears that would be listening. Right. Okay. I think it's a lot easier to tell people in uh, Montgomery, Alabama to not ride the bus than it is to tell people in New York to not ride the subway. It's just an easier concept. And um, I think that one of the things that happened was people were willing to concede to Martin Luther King's position, but they were impressed with how successful that these things were. And it, it, it reintroduced the concept of value into a community that had felt valueless ever since the imposition of those Jim Crow rules. So if they said, okay, well, if I can't ride in the bus in, in the area where I want to sit, but I paid for the bus ride, I'll stop riding the bus. And when the bus companies, you know, said, okay, 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 we we will change, like <laughs> we'll change. Then the concept was, hey, we have value. So why wouldn't this work at a restaurant that's making us go to the back in order to order? Why why wouldn't this work at any other facility where we're spending money? Why wouldn't it work? So the boycott game was very effective. Uh, but you had a committed organization of people who were able to get around some of the inconveniences that a boycott is ultimately going to create. Well, but here is a cha- here's the thing that's kind of interesting, though, because you're right in that sense, all right, um, that, you know, you had some advantages back then. But I think of now, and this is why I got into Sean, Sean, Sean King's leadership, is that he had started to work on, on trying this justice project that said, hey, we're going to target some boycotts of certain individuals, certain cities um, that are engaged in, in, in bad activities. And what we want to do is we want to say, hey, the big bank, for instance, in I think it was Seattle, that worked with Seattle as Wells Fargo. And so they wanted to pressure Wells Fargo to stop taking, you know, basically to pull out of Seattle, stop taking the money at least from the city of Seattle. Okay? Mm-hmm. I think they were able to have some, some, some success. Um, but, 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 the, but the problem that he had was is that it was too hard to keep that going you know, with one, our idea, you know, we're, we're like this with everything, where, you know, something's a big story, Stefan Clark, Brother Clark, right. you know, that, that's a great story now, and in three weeks, you'll you'll be like, oh, he, he played for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the Warriors, right? 
because we don't sort of keep up with these things. Remember, you know, Montgomery Boy Bus kind of is a year. You know, you right. really got to be able to be focused on, on, on something for a long time. And, and, and so I think that's, you know, part, part of the challenge. Another part of the challenge, though, is like you said, you know, you have that huge infrastructure of a church. Now, we have big churches now. We have bigger churches. You know, Kings, yeah. you know, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church is nothing compared to T.D. Jake's Potter's House. Right. But we got a different type of Christianity now. The Christianity now says that if you follow the Lord, you're supposed to get a Lexus. Well, think about it. I can't have my Lexus, you know, out, out there. And next thing you know, the police bust the windows out because, you know, with their water holes, right? You know, the dogs, is, you know, are peeing on my, my car. I, I can't. And that ain't the way the Lord wants. The Lord wants me to have a Lexus and a clean one, right? And, and one with all the windows in it. And I think our idea of Christianity, so I think there's some advantages with the Internet. We actually could do it. We could focus better. We could have, you know, we talk about support. You know, you think about how easy it is to be able to round up support now. They used to, I love this in Montgomery during that bus boycott, literally just drive down the road with your thumb out and you pick up any black person. Now we got Uber. You could have Blacker or Bluber, right? <laughs> Where you can literally order your ride. All right, if we decided we were going to do a, you know, a, a, a public transportation boycott. Right, you can get on Bluebird, right, and get it and get to where you're supposed to go. But the challenge, I think, is is trying to find a way for all of these well-meaning people to get together on one or two issues. And what it seems that we have now is we have so many different issues going all about at one time that it's very difficult to get any any mass of us focused on one. Right, and and the issues I believe primarily stem from folks having. These, these options that can be with integration. So with better options, I mean, if you have, let's say if you and everybody in your family has a car, then you're probably not thinking about the person who doesn't. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, I got mine, you know, <laughs> I got mine. Um, and, and oftentimes, particularly in, in a lot of poor communities, you know, people don't have cars. Bus lines are, are incredibly important. Um, particularly in, in my county, bus lines are incredibly important. Right. Because your bus lines, your lifeline to work, Absolutely. your lifeline to church, your lifetime to any kind of event, or even for a prospective job. Thank your you. bus line is the lifeline for an interview. So, um, you know, cars are one of those things that once you get one, you, it's hard to think about. Now, with this focus on poverty and all the things that it entails, and what I mean is, you know, employment, housing, public benefits, with all those things that, that poverty entails. There are some misconceptions that America has been able to continue to perpetuate. And I think these misconceptions come up because they want to make sure they maintain the division. So public benefits, who receives public benefits? White people. Uh, <laughs> if, if, you, if you look at any of the handouts that they give you or any of uh, the marketing that the, the GOP has put out in the past 20 years. It's a fat lady on the porch with eight kids. A fat black lady <laughs> on the porch with eight kids. That's who's getting all the benefits. But in actuality, most of those benefits are going to white people. Okay. And, and by the way, so, you're just talking about, by the way, the benefits we give to poor white people. We're not talking about right. the $400 million that we give every year to the various companies like uh, Northrop Grumman and Rockwell, et cetera. I'm sorry, we give them $400 billion of, of, of those benefits. You're just talking about the poor people, you know, the milk and cheese. Right, right. But you're talking about some, 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 some stale-ass cheese. All right, yeah. Right, right, right. Absolutely. 
No, we're not even talking about that because you know nobody cares about corporate subsidies. Right. That's fine. It's farmers, <laughs> right? You know, it's exactly. You know, for a person with a hundred thousand acre farm, no problem. We pay them money not to grow stuff. But yeah, we just talking about this. You know, the fact that you gave you know poor people, uh, you know, some diapers. Right. Nor are we talking about the uh, two hundred plus years of free labor that created the system for that money to be held in, so that they can live off the interest of it. No. That's we're not talking about that either. No, no. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, but yeah. So, anyways, we Martin Luther King had some really, really novel ideas about how we could put together this, this coalition to fight poverty. Mm. And I think that this is something that you see in the latter end of his life. Absolutely, only because I don't think that Martin Luther King fully understood what he was leading his people into with integration, and I don't blame him for that. Um, I think at the time, the goal seemed simple. We wanted the ability to choose our own Mm -hmm. We wanted the ability to get a suitable education. What we didn't know was once this access is made, there's going to be additional institutional barriers Mm. that are gonna be put in place to further divide. Absolutely. What happened after Brown versus Board Education to black teachers? Mm-hmm. And what happens is when they integrated these schools in the South, they they, they decided they weren't going to integrate the teaching. So they moved black kids, you know, to the extent that they you know um, that they actually complied with the orders. They would move black kids in these white schools, but then they would just you know fire all the black teachers in those schools. Mm-hmm. And so these now these black kids are going to to school with these white teachers who did not see them as smart and intelligent and capable and remember really you know you, you know and we spent some time talking you know earlier and you told me this great story about how you know the reason you are who you are today is because someone saw something in you early and then you know pushed you and and, and worked with you and, and bribed you with, with, with a free trip to, to disney world <laughs> that doesn't happen if you have a white teacher who looks at you as subhuman and, and, and so we saw basically when we had these schools, the kids, the black kids got better access to sporting facilities, to classrooms, to textbooks, and teachers in many cases who saw them as inferior. Right. Now, you, you notice that one of the things that wasn't said was access to white communities and white friendships that would last the test of time. <laughs> that was because a lot of the white people who saw the writing on the wall decided hey, well, we can afford to send young Timmy to private school so we don't have to deal with any of this integration stuff. Um, or perhaps there's this new charter school down the school. Oh, better, forget better than that. We'll just move to the suburbs where we have all the restrictive covenants that where black people right. can't move in or where B of A has agreed to redline that area and not lend there. So we'll, we'll, we'll solve we'll solve our own integration problem, and, and but but even to the extent you know, like I say, integration is one of those things where that was one of those unintended consequences where it absolutely devastated not only black students but black teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I thought I saw a statistic the other day, and I'm I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, but I don't think so. Something like the percentage of black uh, of, of teachers who are black males is like two percent. Wow. 
Um, you know, and it's you know it, it's still disproportionately low for sisters, but you know we're not represented in, in the classrooms and a lot of you know our educational establishment. Which remember, was, was you know those kids were being educated somewhere, even without the resources. You know, mm-hmm. just got devastated with, by the way, something that was you know, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, the crowning achievement of Thurgood Marshall's life, um, something that we all celebrate but had you know adverse consequences so you're right a lot of what dr king was trying to do end up having some adverse consequences right right and, and yeah. now, now here's the thing is knowing what we know about say you know integration we're saying like integration is certainly not a bad thing but 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 we understand it's not it's not the end all be all Correct. dr king had figured out that one thing will be very effective and this is why I think a lot of us think he's dead now or died when he did um, is, is because he found out about the effects of economic boycotts one, in, a, in a sermon he gave a few months before he was killed um, he talked about a boycott of a company called Seal Test I believe it's the name they, they used to produce they, they had milk and, and they produced a, a, a you know basically they were you know like a what be the word for it you know a a local brand of or a national brand of milk products ice cream etc they weren't hiring African Americans um, you know, as shippers, truck, you know, those types of positions. And Dr. King and, you know, and the SEOs, it's like, you know, try to get a meeting with them. And they won't meet with them. Why would you meet with Dr. King? Mm-hmm. And so here's what they did is they didn't say to their people to boycott, um, seal tests. Here's what they did. They went to the convenience, they went to local stores in that area, the, you know, the Walgreens, um, or, or, or they'd be back then, uh, the Woolworths and said, um, if you don't take all seal test products off your shelf, uh, I got about 20 cities in which we will no longer be buying. We will no longer be shopping in your store buying anything. Hmm. That day he gets a call from seal test. He says, you wanted to meet Dr. King? What would you like to talk about? Because he had figured out the power, which was not just an individual boycott of that brand. See, a lot of people can get away with an individual boycott of their particular brand. If you're a ski equipment company and you won't hire any black people, uh, they don't worry about us buying their equipment. Right. But if we said, hey, we're not going to, to shop at Target anymore or Walmart, anywhere that carries your product, uh, now we, they got to talk to you. And when Dr. King, I think, made that discovery, he became a really dangerous person. Hmm. Because he had that kind of power to be able to marshal, you know, think about it. That's a boycott where you literally any company you can get to. That being said, and the things we talked about earlier with, you know, the challenges that we have now of, of, in our current culture. Because we have more coordination than Dr. King could ever have. We have the Internet. Absolutely. But, but, but something about us, and I don't know if it's, if it's our low attention span or just the idea of the sacrifice it requires. Remember, you and I, and I, I'm more guilty than any of it, clowned our butt off when Monique called for the boycott. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I gotta tell you, I, I don't think Monique's mama was boycotting Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm watching six, seven hours of Netflix a day. Uh, you know, it, it was like the kind of idea was like, you know, do I sacrifice, you know, for, for this? And so getting that mindset back would be, I think, a, a little bit of, of a challenge. But if we can't do that, all right, then, then what are we going to do uh, to sort of keep moving the ball forward? We can't, we can't keep it the way it is now. Well, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, I think 
boycotts, obviously, from the NFL season last year. I, I just don't <laughs> think boycotts are going to work. Well, well, let's go back to that. Let's go back to that, because here's where I think we messed up, all right? Our idea was saying, you know what, we're going to boycott the NFL. What the NFL said was, one, we don't believe you, and two, <laughs> we don't care. You don't buy enough luxury box seats. Okay. And that is probably true. But what we do buy is a hell of a lot of McDonald's. Right. And so we should have gone to McDonald's, Burger King, Nike, wherever the people that you know, we do buy and say, look, you will not advertise. Not just with NFL, you will not advertise on on ESPN anymore. You, you're going after all the black staples, man. Nike, McDonald's. Exactly. But basically to say to them, you will do this for us. Because they could have got, Nike could get Colin Kaepernick signed. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And, and it's a way to sort of leverage, you know, that pressure. And so what happened with us is, is that we kind of said, we'll try to do it ourselves. And some black people, you know, blacked it out or whatever. They weren't concerned about our blackout because that's not how they make their money. They make their money selling those luxury box seats and getting new stadiums, right? We don't do that. The other thing was is that we depended upon the athletes. I think this is where you and I were frustrated. They should have handled this. They had the leverage. But the civil rights movement was never built on the back of black millionaires. You could never trust black millionaires. The only reason you can trust me is because I'm not a millionaire yet. <laughs> or at least a mo- when I get my multi-millions, uh, don't trust me. All right? And you can kind of understand that. You know, it takes a lot. I, you know, and I'm not even, you know, I, I would like to blame those brothers. But you know what? It, it, I could talk a lot of stuff, but I'd have to put $40 million up. Right. Everybody ain't Harry Belafonte. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's a great example, right? Harry Belafonte was down, always down for the cause. But think about it. We know his name because it was only him and a few others. It wasn't Cosby. And I bet you sometimes Harry Belafonte goes, I wish I had that Cosby money. <laughs> not anymore. Well, not anymore. But think about it. You, by the way, you ain't never seen a picture of Cosby. You, you, I, I dare you, anyone of our listeners, try to find a picture of Cosby and King. You won't see them together. <laughs> Because Cosby wasn't having wasn't that no party king because he was trying to get his his Cosby show. Doctor Martin Luther King. And, and thank you. <laughs> and his pops and his pudding and uh, and his raping. And the point is, that you can't <laughs> <laughs> you can't get all that already if you if you if you, if you, if you pissed off all the white people. And so right. the idea that we had like, oh no no, these black millionaires are gonna do it for us. No, that's not gonna happen. We got to have a movement that we could sustain, which means we need to be able to, to target people that will listen to us. And, and that requires some coordination and a light skinned brother, preferably named King. So, Sean, <laughs> if you're listening, come on back with it this time. We're going to get Colin, 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 Colin back in, 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 in his job. By the way, you do know that I just found this out this week, broke my heart. The, um, Reed, uh, oh, please, I, I, I should know the brother's name because I feel bad. But, um, but basically, Colin Kaepernick's Colin teammate. Um, um, <laughs> um, his defensive back. Um, he ended up getting blackballed this year. He's not been signed. All pro yeah, uh, defensive back. Uh, and, and the worst part about feel bad for this brother is at least Colin Kaepernick in the end is going to win. Right? In the end, he is going to be a household name. He's going to be Ali. We will respect him. And, and white people will, will pretend like they loved him all the time. Right, but Eric Reed, all right, you know, is sitting there this year not being able to get signed. 
and he probably you know isn't gonna get a statue. So we we got you, Eric. We we we, we with you, brother. Yeah, come on the show, man. Let us know why people in the locker room aren't trying to protest. I'm I'm really curious as to how a league that has to clearly be like eighty percent black felt okay, particularly if, if anybody who played for the Dallas Cowboys who wants to call in and let us know <laughs> and all the stuff that Jerry Jones put you through and y'all still went out there to play. It is it, it and it's it's amazing, but you know, like I said, you know, it, it's it's a lot. You know, to, to to ask and 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 I you know, push me. I don't think it's too much to ask, but I do say that experience should tell us that um, very few people are gonna are, are gonna rise to that 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 call. Uh, this conversation comes up a lot. Like I, I felt like Trump and Bernie Sanders both presented options right. that America as a whole was very receptive of. Mm-hmm. But they're polar opposite. <laughs> so, me myself, I was a Sanders supporter. Right, me too. And you wanted fresh ideas. So on that, I can understand a Trump supporter's position. Like you want somebody fresh. Now, right. I think that if you support Trump, this is my my personal opinion. Nobody else's. Uh, but just so everybody knows, Jesse McCoy's opinion is: if you support Trump, you're racist. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I'm not trying to. You know, you look in the mirror. Look at what he's done. Look at Charlottesville. And if you can still live for yourself and you still support your ballot, then you're a racist. So, <laughs> um, how about this? Know. How about this? Make it make 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 it make it a little palatable for some people. All right, you're not necessarily racist yourself, but uh, you don't have a problem with it. You you you, you are racist friendly. All right, I think right. we can all agree on that. You might not be a racist yourself, but you don't mind a lot of racism coming out against some other people. You you may not be a racist in the traditional sense, but you've probably burned across it too. We we can talk about this more, but here's what I, I think. You know, I, I just had a guy yell at me about you know calling people racist or whatever, and I realized the problem for a lot of people is is that they think of racist as being like a a motorist that you have to be driving the car to be a racist. And my thought is, no, no, no. If you were in the back seat, all right, of 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 of, of the you know <laughs> the the Cadillac uh, racist parade, uh, if you get to the concert with everybody else, you still racist. All right, you don't have to drive the car. And so I think a lot of times people think of it as like I don't hate black people. I'm like no, no, no. But, but if you didn't mind running over several black people to get to the concert, you still racist too. All right, even if you were just in the back seat, you know, trying not to spill your drink as you bumped over them, yeah. you still have been, you know, participating in this. And so, yeah, I agree with you. If you voted for Trump, you might not be driving the car, but you have no problem with being, you know, with, with heading the racist veal. Right, and and we we have to get to a point where people are comfortable. Like, if you're racist, it's 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 not okay, but you, <laughs> you are a racist, like. I feel like the people who would march through Charlottesville with polo shirts and khakis with with tiki torches talking about you will not replace us. Who is the you you think they're talking about? Right. So like if, if they're walking through and they're saying blood and soil, where do you think that comes from? But, and but, if they get on TV talking about they're not racist. But but I think, you know, even those people. All right. Even if you can get people to agree that those who are racist say, well, that's not me. I, I you know, <laughs> I'm wearing a V-neck. And, and and the bottom line is is you don't have to be out there with a tiki torch. 
all right, to, 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 to be racist. Because, by the way, if you voted for the same guy, you want to put the same policies in place. You want to build the same wall, but you're just too lazy to get your fat ass out there. <laughs> then all you are is a lazy racist. That's worse. You're a lacist. And, and if you're poor and you vote for Trump, I really give you the side eye because you're cutting your own benefits. Now, I'm actually, part of me is actually curious to see how this is going to turn out for you. So, <laughs> and, well, and the most interesting is you saw recently with those tariffs that the Chinese put on them because the Chinese seem to understand uh, our, our system even better than us and maybe even better than Russians. So all mm -hmm. of the things they wanted to take away, soybeans, etc., they only they didn't go after oranges and, and stuff to build, you know, and wine and grapes stuff like you do make out of California. They went after Trump states. It's all the red states they went after those crops. And I literally saw a couple. I, 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 I when I saw this video, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. This couple is somewhere in the Midwest. Trump wants to end NAFTA. They sell all of their crop to Mexico. All of it. The person on the news said, "You sell all of your crop to Mexico. If Trump ends NAFTA, you, what will happen to you?" They said, "Well, we'd probably lose this farm." You know who they voted for? Trump. Trump. <laughs> Good for you. Nice to see those Trump policies work. You know, and and here is I thought you know don't get me wrong I have gone through too many hours. I know I've taken years off my life, and you've seen me write about it and try to figure out what is going on with these people. And, and and because how could you fall for the fact that the guy who's never done anything for anybody, who proudly says he pays as little tax as possible and rips off everybody for as much as he can, writes books about how he doesn't pay his people, contractors, etc. How you thought that guy was going to be in it for anybody but himself? And I realized nobody's that stupid. They didn't care. They either liked one of two things. The policies that said, he said, hey, you can still be white and that'll be enough. I'll put you back in that coal mine. And even though you have 18th century skills, I'm going to get you 20th century wages. Come on back. <laughs> Being white will be enough again. So one, he sold them white. The other thing, by the way, I think he sells them is not even policies. Even if you're smart enough to figure out that you're going to lose your farm, here's what he sold them. This is going to piss off those liberals. Right, right. <laughs> and I got to tell you, as far as that part of his campaign promise, he has delivered a thousand percent. And I know you do it too. I see you online at three in the morning. And you think about it, it's, it's one, it's one thirty your time now. All right? all right. We up all night, every night, trying to, you know, wonder what the heck is wrong with these people. <laughs> you know how much he has fulfilled that promise? How many billions, literally billions? Billions of man hours have liberals spent, all right, <laughs> posting, writing, tweeting, mad. I think that that was the biggest promise that that, 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 that that he kept, that they liked, was the idea that the people who've been making fun of them and calling them names, etc., and, 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 and not and insinuating uh, that their parents were never married or maybe closely related, <laughs> you know me I call, I call them the Cro-Maga I don't even give them the standpoint of being full homo sapiens alright okay. uh, but, 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 but they get the ultimate revenge that every night I go to bed pissed my wife and I wake up every morning playing the game I know you and your wife wake up playing the what the hell did he say now right. as soon as I get up look at the tweet oh damn 
And I think that is, you know, something that is a psychic benefit. Once again, it's like that crow. We can come back to King. Where, yeah, you're not getting any more money. Your kids are still going to have rickets and scurvy. But you're not black. And you're really going to piss off those, those race-trading liberals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's so funny for me to see the perspective of the people who support Trump. Because I remember the feeling that everybody had when Obama was elected. Mm-hmm. And we felt like there was this major milestone in America mm. that we finally crossed over. And when, and some people even said, oh, post-racial America. <laughs> right? This is milestone we crossed over. But it's funny because the, the excitement and enthusiasm of an Obama presidency, at least at its inception, was so miraculous. Everybody felt democracy worked. Mm. Like, we came out and voted. We did what we were supposed to do. The person that we voted for actually won this time. <laughs> That's a good point. Right? We, I when you see <laughs> Trump, it's almost like his supporters, even when they're getting interviewed on TV and they have no, like, legitimate argument, right? it's like they're trying to bottle up and embody the same enthusiasm for their guy right. that the whole world had for Obama and, and they know that it's not genuine. Like, they, they realize that. So they always resort to, look, man, I think the thing about him and the porn stars is just getting blown out of proportion. We need to move forward. It's like, well, no, 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 we can't just move forward from that. No, you can't just say, oh, yeah, no, you know, backseas. You just can't. You mentioned before about the, the promise of Obama. And one of the things that we as black people have to get right, why I don't want a king necessarily, but we need a prince or at least a you know an arch admiral, an earl, a duke, an elder, or something, is that you realize that when Obama got elected, every group got together and got their wish list out. So the gays said, and rightfully so, we want in the military, we want to get married. The Latinos and, and, and you know and came and said, "Hey, look, you know we're tired of having our family being worried about. It. We want protection for these kids, these dreamers. We ideally want full citizenship or at least a pathway to citizenship." Right. What did black people demand from the president that we supported? Ninety-eight percent sit out long lines, twice as long as other people to vote. Here's the thing about how silly we are. Even Sasha and Malia got something out of the deal. I don't know if you remember, but they said, hey, daddy, we ain't gonna, we ain't gonna stay here and act like good little girls and, and not act a fool unless we get a puppy. Right. So, we in the White House, I want me, and they had, what was the name of the puppy? Bo? I don't know. Whatever. Right. They got a puppy. We can't, you know, and here's somebody, I'm not mad at Obama. It's not his fault. We didn't even sit together as a people and ask for one thing. Swag. Thank, thank you. You know, give us a mug, a t-shirt, something. You know, one city, maybe get Flint fixed. I mean, we we didn't. Have, and so I'm you. Know, I'm not going to be mad at Obama for not automatically divining and and figuring out what we wanted from him because we were we were so happy to get a black president that we didn't really care if we got you know. And don't you know, he did good things. I'm not saying he was a bad president at all. You know, it's so funny how much you appreciate him now that you got Trump. Ooh, I, I, I was singing, you know, the, some love songs with Barack today, right? Miss you, Barack. Every night, I turn the TV on and cry. I cry, I cry. I say why, I feel like we're all gonna die. So come back, Barack.
Um, but here's the thing is, I do. But the difference is, though, is like, you know, it, it, we should have been, and this is a hard thing. I think this is what we got to figure out. How do we get to the point as a people where we get institutions again that, you know, represent us? You know, years ago, we had the NAACP and, and, and SNOOK and, and uh, Soul Train. Right, you could spell it out on the board with, with you know, uh, but do something, right? We don't have, you know, we we used to have MySpace, right? When that was the thing, and, and it was, and, you know, and we had we were clear on MySpace what we wanted, which was, you know, not MySpace. Right, right. <laughs> we wanted Facebook, but the point is, is I think that, um, one one of the genius things that uh, Dr. King was able to do was he was able to reach those people in the highest positions of power mm -hmm. to get them involved in the movement, whether they wanted to be involved or not. <laughs> so initially, when um, all these you know uh, protests started, John F. Kennedy, who at the beginning, at least, was never for integration or anything like that, he just didn't want the nightly news Thank you. showing black people in the middle of the road. And somehow... Dr. King was miraculous in, in getting him to say, look, man, can we just give a little bit to, to take a little bit? Like, can can y'all like let them eat? And, like, <laughs> the so the cameras go off. And that little like change in position took JFK from just a regular Irish Catholic guy to being an honorary black person on the Black Hall of Fame. Right there beside Martin Luther King. We, we talked about it for years. He was <laughs> the third member of the Black Trinity. Right. And I'm like, I, you think I'm kidding? My grandmother's room, you know the room I'm talking about, grandma's house, the room that nobody can go in? She got, you know, the, the carpet is all covered with runners. You can't sit on none of the furniture. You just slide off. It's all cushioned. Yeah. And it's, all, it's all covered, right? But in there, he had the three pictures. It was Jesus in the middle and Dr. King on the right-hand side of the Savior and Kennedy on the left. All right. Now, unfortunately, she didn't live to see Obama because Obama replaced Kennedy in most black trinities. Right. But that's how big Kennedy was, even though, like you said, he really, you know, was reluctantly in, in Trinity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Obama sort of, you know, re re replaced him in, 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 in the Trinity. You know, let's sort of end here. I think try to give our, you know, I guess, you know, brief prescriptions for the way forward. And, and I got to say, you know, I don't know how we're going to marshal um, a collective response to some of the things that still ail us. Because while we've made a lot of progress, a lot of things still seem to be issues with regard to, you know, disparities in just about every area um, of, of, of development, education, right, healthcare, etc. Obviously, police um, brutality is the same as it ever was. All right. It's just, you know, on camera now. Um, but I think, you know, individually, what what's going to have to happen, at least in what I hope happens, and you do a lot of this personally, I need to do more of this personally, is for us to say, okay, maybe, I, maybe we can't change the whole world. Maybe the answer isn't the king. But, uh, you know, I need to be my own, um, you know, <laughs> um, will be the word for it, you know, um, knight and, okay. and find and reach you know, some young and, and capable people. I want to talk, I want you to tell people just a, briefly about, you know, how you have been able to sort of, you know, reach back and, and, and you know, and help a few people in ways that, by the way, don't require some her, Herculean effort. 
Uh, I don't require you to be, you know, as brilliant or good looking as me because you're not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you did this incredible stuff. Just and go ahead and tell them a little bit because I want people to get an idea of what I think we can do. Okay. So um, the first thing is, you know, I am a product of Durham County, and Durham County, though, is is progressed in a lot of ways since the time when I was in middle school and high school. Uh, it used to be one of the rougher counties of North Carolina. And one of the reasons was because we didn't see a lot of success stories come back into our neighborhoods and tell us, you know, the, the playbook for getting to where you wanted to go. Typically, Durham County was such that once you got successful, you didn't come back because you weren't trying to get robbed. So, uh, so one of the first things I said when I you know, was able to get myself established was, let me go and let me just talk to the kids and put myself out there. To see, you know, if there's anybody who's interested in pursuing a path to becoming a lawyer or maybe even something else that I might have a contact or benefit for. And what I did was I started going to uh, Brogdon Middle School. Shout out to Brogdon, which was not my middle school, but it was very close to where I used to live. Um, And I went to Brogdon and I met with 30 uh, wonderful, intelligent smart young men, uh, uh, mostly of black and Latino descent. And when I met with these people, you know, anytime that you go, we talked about this before, there are gonna be some questions because uh, marginalized kids tend to be able to to get to the questions they wanna know about real (laughs) quick. So, so, uh, you know, everybody wants to assess from social status where where you are and how much you're winning. So they'll ask me things like, what do you drive? Right? <laughs> and my car isn't that great. You know what I'm saying? I'm still waiting to get my Lamborghini out of the shop. You know, like, <laughs> so, uh, you know but you know, you, you, I, I've always felt like when I was in their shoes, the worst thing I hated was people to lie to me. Right? So don't lie to me. And I, I feel like I take that with me. So I don't lie to them. I tell them, you know, I don't have the car that I want. But I'm able to be self-sufficient. See, that's why, by the way, I have you telling this story. Because I had a similar thing. You become a speaker. You go speak to the kids. And I had a kid ask me. And I, I found myself lying to the kid. And then I was mad at the kid. I'm like, why the hell am I lying to you? You ain't got no damn job. Why am I? You need to lie to me and impress me. <laughs> and so this is why you do that work very better than I do. So you told the kids the truth, um, and then you obviously had to keep talking. Right. So, so I tell the kids the truth, and what I also realize in uh, talking to these kids is, if you got a room full of thirty, I don't know how teachers do it, but you know there's ten people off rip who oftentimes aren't gonna even talk to you. They they don't have anything to do with it. Right. They're talking each other they're playing paper football pencil break whatever the case may be you're not really there for them right right out of the 20 kids that are left there may be another 10 who they hear what you're selling and they say okay this is great but they don't know how that relates to them okay so they'll give you a little bit of time to kind of lay out what your you know what your position is but if you can't help them with something that they're focused on then it becomes, for them, kind of a waste. Um, But in every group, there's always either somebody who hasn't decided what they want to do or somebody who's interested in doing something that you have done. 
and they have more questions and they usually have a lot of questions for you. And I've had the benefit in my career of seeing people who I taught when I was just a mere law school student go on to become big time attorneys and sports agents in other places, uh, primarily because I was the only attorney of African-American descent that they had ever seen anyway. And when they talk to me, my process is simple. I will give you my email address and I will mandate that you email me once a month if you're serious. Mm-hmm. I don't chase people. <laughs> if you don't want them, I got I love free time. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> anybody else. So if they don't chase me and they don't want my help, I'm not gonna force you to. But I never wanted to have a situation where you know they couldn't reach out Absolutely. or wanted to reach out and didn't get anybody. So I give them my card, tell them, email me monthly, let me know what's going on. And usually in those situations, if there's somebody who's interested in being an attorney, they're going to say things like, what classes should I take that will best prepare me to be an attorney? I'm coming up to registration time. So you'll tell them some classes. You want to beef up your writing. You want to beef up your public speaking experience, blah, 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 blah. When if they stick with you, then ultimately you'll get questions like, well, what college should I go to? What's going to put me in the best position? And you get to tell them the reality of, well, you know, there are only a few colleges that are really going to set the standard for what you're going to, like, distinguish you from everybody else. Right. But your key is to get a good, solid education. And you can do that at a number of places. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure to do the things that you want to do, not because you <laughs> think that path to a job, because otherwise you'll be frustrated if you pursue it and you don't get the job you want right so you help them with that you help them through college talking about transitioning into uh masculinity because a lot of these kids also uh grew up in households that may not necessarily have a parental unit let alone a father so you you not to say that you step in to be the father but you can provide advice on how these things work. Yeah. And, and um, see, here's what I like about this, is that this isn't, by the way, you know, a big brother, big brother, big business sister program where you're taking them to the park, right, and, you know, and teach them how to ride a bike, right? You know, because we, you know, a lot of us have families of our own, you know, you might not be able to make that type of commitment. This is being an advisor, all right? Yeah. We, we, we all got time to sit around and talk about, by the way, us, that's the best thing about this is, because I've, I've done this before myself, where, you know, if you have a mentee, and I think everyone should, should have one, you got to talk about your favorite topic, you, all right, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and what you did and how you learned, what you learned, and, you know, et cetera, and, and, and this is something that I think, you know, we all can do, and here's what, you know, I would hope that, that, that this conversation spurs, you know, at least one person to do, is go out and say, okay, you know what, I can't solve all the world's problems. I think my Facebook posts solve all the problems. I find out uh, I haven't solved one yet. Mm-hmm. But but I probably could make a difference. I know I can. In 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 one young person's life, by just by the way, like I said, not you know we're we're not taking in a, you know another a foster child here, all right, which is a wonderful thing to do. But we're simply saying you know give them the benefit of your knowledge because you said something to me that you know it's an old expression, but I love it. All right, when you know better, you do better. Right. A lot of these kids don't do better only because they don't know. And, and this is where you know you, where where you know it, it's a sh- it's shame on us if there are you know the next king all right is someone who doesn't get there because we didn't take the the 
20 minutes it would take to, to point them to the right books, the right classes. You know, a lot of times, and, and, you know, and this starts the process, I think even probably best is, you know, if you get a kid in junior high or whatever, you know, if you want to be a doctor, it's too late, all right, at 12th grade to decide you want to take biology classes. Correct. <laughs> you know, you, you have to be, you know, early. But, but think about it. You don't, like I said, you don't have to teach them biology, all right? You just have to have someone who, like I said, who's interested. As you mentioned, not everyone is going to be ready at that time. That's fine. All right, but 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 it would be nice if we all and this is you know what what I would love to do. I, I remember I was in an airport once thinking about my favorite topic, me, and I decided I was going to list the number of people who would show up to my funeral that I knew would be there. Right, you know this is literally ride or die, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm dead. So I said, well, who would be that? You know, we would come to my funeral, and I got a list of twelve people. And, and, and I went to my wife and I called her and she was like, look, put me down as a maybe. <laughs> I, I married a sister. She said, if it rain, you know, I can't be there when it rains. All right. I, I just got my hair dead. I, I ain't going to mess with my hair because you're dead. You'll be dead tomorrow. So assuming it don't rain or I'll be there. But I, you think that's bad. I had talked to one guy. His wife said, put her down plus one. So, so, so at least my wife wasn't planning on bringing a date. But, but the bottom <laughs> line, but bottom line was this is I, I, my list isn't long. All right, because I mostly run, run around the country t- speaking to people once, but I had some people on that list who could stand there and say my life is different because I met Sean. Mm. Th- that's all you can ask for. Absolutely. That whoops the hell out of a Lamborghini. Um, and, and and so you know this is the way I think we all could do it, and it's not trying to solve all the world's problems. Let's just get involved with one young person. Get them some direction, and you know, at least at least we'll be a little better off when we have this conversation in 2068. Absolutely, and I just want to give a shout out to the person who inspired me to do this, uh, Renee Wilburn. If it were not for you, Miss Wilburn, I wouldn't be here. I would probably be in jail, dead, or just doing something totally stupid. Uh, (laughs) But you were able to get me on the right path. And I think that's the power of a positive black teacher who's willing to be involved when they see you going sideways and to help guide you to where you need to be. So I know she listens to the show. Shout out to you. Um, and shout out to the kids that you're still teaching after all these years. Oh, absolutely. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. And uh, we'll see the rest of you. We're, we're happy you here, too. Um, now, who we're looking for, we talked about this earlier on, on, on the Facebook page, is uh, Hennessy and Coke. Hennessy and Coke. See, at this point, we pre- presented a show. This is, I think this is the episode. What, ten. Episode ten. It's ten. It's, gonna, yeah. it's, it's getting big now from now on. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in double digits. Yeah, we're taking the training so, wheels off now. We, we, we're getting serious. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, if you want a show that's going to be smooth, and relaxing, but yet give you some excitement. Um, this is us. And I think that you can go ahead and cut those checks. I think the price needs to go up now because, you know, this is episode 10. So, you know, we, we've been trying to get with you guys <laughs> for a long time, you know, and, 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 you know, we're going to give you a couple more weeks uh, of a curve before we start reaching out to Pepsi. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I gotta tell you, RC Cola is already here. 
<laughs> all right. They're already putting their money up. We don't want to be RC. We don't want to do RC, but we'll do it if we have to. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mean Pepsi's here. Gatorade. Gatorade. <laughs> I like energy drinks. I like, I like I like to hydrate. So just putting it out there. But if any of you listeners know anybody or any, really any company that wants to be a part of the show, uh, sponsor us, send us a little bit of money. We can always use it. We love to improve production value because we want to make sure the quality of what you hear remains great. So come on through. Let us know and continue to watch. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And uh, I think that's going to be it for us tonight. That is it. We'll see you next time, people. Y'all take the view. 2068.